0: Is it time for the righteous to pray for God's justice? 1 Peter 5 eight tells us, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This is Dennis Peterson, and thanks for joining me today on Reclaiming Your Legacy. We are in a war. More people than ever are awakening to the reality of that. And as we do, we realize there are key elements of warfare, especially spiritual warfare, that every soldier must be constantly attentive to. As Jesus trained his 12 and his 70 and his 120 disciples learning to work in harmony with each other, so he's training his modern-day warriors to seek God's direction, to intercede, to boldly speak up, to cooperatively work together under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to prayerfully and courageously pursue the expanding work of God's kingdom against which the heats of hell cannot prevail. The Psalms are punctuated with prayers of God's justice to be done. More than ever in our lifetimes, God's saints are discovering the appropriateness for us to pray humbly to our righteous judge. Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to shame, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. That's Psalm thirty-one, seventeen to 18. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let those who hate him flee before him, let the wicked perish at the presence of God. That's Psalm 69, 1-2. There are many more throughout Scripture, and as the enemy's wickedness becomes exceedingly destructive through his corrupted servants to destroy the goodness of God, we must access this much unused weapon in God's arsenal. The big challenge of a broad-spectrum platform like public radio today is that you inevitably have people listening who are at every imaginable level of awareness, cognitive ability, and spiritual maturity. If you've heard my voice before right now, you realize that I've attempted to make scriptural principles plain in their application to the sobering and difficult situations that confuse and burden everyone out there who is sincerely looking for God-honoring answers. It's not an easy task. But more importantly, if you've heard me before, you no doubt heard me emphasize the invitation to share what you're hearing with others. And that's the main point. Scripture is clear. None of us are excused from helping others. Jesus said it clearly. Whatever we do or don't do to the least of these, we do or don't do to Jesus himself. That's the big message of Paul's appeal in Philippians 2, 3-4, where it says, Humbly regard others more important than yourself, and don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in the needs of others too. We can all do better at this. It's honestly puzzling that so many nice Christian people who listen to a show like this have never told anyone about the vitally important things that they've heard or given them a link to a life-changing video that's linked on the program details for each of these programs on our website, reclaimyourlegacy.com. Do you have a computer or a tablet or smartphone with access to the internet? Most people do. Now, if you don't, you probably know someone who does, who's friendly enough with you that you could ask them to help you go to a website and share something with a friend that you honestly care about. And it's not just about this program. Our culture is swimming in abundant sources of life-changing information, and you don't have to think that your objective has to be to give them the whole gospel and get them saved. For goodness sake, Jesus said in Matthew 10:42, if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you'll surely be rewarded. Do you think someone you know desperately wants to know where they can get information about what to do about the conditions that are causing them so much anxiety right now? What's stopping you from taking action today? Whether it's what to do about staying well, recovering from the plague, or dealing with the hassles of bureaucratic interference in your life, we've given lots of helpful connections to experts who have the solutions you need. We'll be doing a lot more in coming weeks. And that's why we call this Reclaiming Your Legacy. It's all about the principle of accessing God's promise in Jeremiah 29:11 to give you a future and a hope. It sure would be nice to hear that anything I've shared with you on this program was something that you could take and share and take the time to share with a friend. Go back through the easily read transcripts and recordings of past shows, They're illustrated and they're easy to read. They're filled with hot links to valuable sources of information. I've worked very hard to research and gather information that's timely, easily understood, and attractively presented for you to share with friends. And I'd love to know that you were able to share with someone who appreciated you for doing so. If you read or hear my most recent radio show at reclaimyourlegacy.com, you'll note my emphasis on two Bible verses that are cornerstones to my lifetime investigation of what's true in virtually any field of knowledge. Put everything to the test because my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Understanding the times and the insight to what Israel or God's family today ought to do, like it says in 1 Chronicles twelve thirty-two, that was the special gift God gave to the sons of Issachar. And by the grace of God today, he's guiding his spirit-filled children to see if they would abide closely to him and love the truth expressly to the disregard of all the deception that freely abounds. I believe you'll want to be at least reading my Reclaim Your Legacy radio program this week and share it with friends. It opens a discussion about what's ahead and what we all must do in the light of the valley of the shadow of death that our world is just beginning to go through this year. Intercessors for America, contributing writer Jamie Rohrbach, recently wrote a very timely short prayer. Father God, you are in your holy temple. Your word says that the cup of your wrath will be turned against the wicked and you will defend the righteous. We wait on you and we look to you. Let all the earth keep silence before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Like Jamie, if you're a faithful intercessor, you've no doubt been wondering when or if justice will ever come to the wicked in our chaotic world. Have you been watching recent events with anger, dismay, or even despair? Are you asking yourself, where is God, or when is he going to show up? If so, I want to encourage you today from the book of Habakkuk. The words of Habakkuk are extremely timely for America right now. This is a strong prophetic word for our nation. Look at what Habakkuk says that could be easily applied to the United States of America today. First, the prophet Habakkuk cries out to the Lord in indignation after the Lord shows him injustice and iniquity prevailing in a nation. He says in Habakkuk 1, 1-4. 1-4. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear, even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me, their strife and contention arises, therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds." God is going to have mercy on the righteous, and he is bringing revival. He's also bringing judgment against the wicked. I know it seems to be taking a long time, and that it appears lawlessness is only increasing. However, the word of God says that God himself will force the wicked to drink, not drinking propaganda, but drinking straight from the cup of the Lord. In other words, they'll be forced to swallow whatever retribution the Lord has for them, and what the Lord has for them is against them, not for them. It's going to bring shame to all their plans, shame to all the things that they gloried in. And, dear friends, revival is coming, too. I think you'll appreciate a speech by Molly Hemingway. She won a prize as the champion of freedom. You can see an excerpt in the link for today's notes at reclaimyourlegacy.com. Pat Buchanan wrote, Courage is contagious. Defiance can lead to a recovery of will. Do you think that's inspiring to almost anyone who chooses to risk his well-being for a greater good? David Azarud defined courage as the bold and principled defiance of the lies of the age. Molly writes, for conservatism to mean anything now, it has to be about rejecting this rigged system. Don't just say stop. Our duty is not to say stop, but then bend the knee in cowardice when the mob comes. That brings even more harm to our more vulnerable neighbors and does nothing to prevent the destruction of the country. See what you think of a little more of Molly's essay. She wrote, It's not comfortable for conservatives who value order and civility to even think or speak this way, but the fact is that many Americans are alienated from and no longer feel at home in their own country. The moral climate has been degraded as the left has taken over every single one of the powerful institutions in the country and is actively pushing people to lead a life of godlessness, barrenness, selfishness, gluttony, and addiction to outrage and dopamine. All of a sudden, the conservative project is not a conservative one so much as a counter-revolutionary one. Unfortunately, anyone who dares take on the broken and corrupt political and media complex is teed up for absolute destruction. As lesser men cower in the face of the risk, the cost of standing up to the system becomes steeper and steeper. While you will not be locked up for saying the truth, yet you will be demonized, stigmatized, deplatformed. You may even lose your job. The end result is the delay of America's ability to get the course correction it desperately needs, and at some point, if more people don't stand up and fight hard, the nation is going to die. Having said that, we must protect ourselves against the excessive, if fashionable, pessimism. The truth may not yet prevail, but until then, there's a heartwarming amount of defiance left in this country. It's not enough, though, that someone fights. The fight must be smart and tactical. While we are clearly entering an era where dissidence will be required, there's no value in secular martyrdom or being just another victim of the regime— The fight must be supplemented by prudence and strategy. Be bold and defiant, but we must also know where to aim our fire. On the other hand, figuring out where to aim our fire is not that difficult right now. It brings to mind a quote from legendary Marine Chesty Puller. They're in front of us, behind us, and we're flanked on both sides by an enemy that outnumbers us 29 to 1. They can't get away from us now. I've been repeatedly reminded in recent months of Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, instead expose them. It's understandable how most of us have looked to the Bible as a personal message to us as individuals. And that's completely appropriate. Isn't it interesting how recent events are awakening more and more of God's children to ask God, How are we supposed to react or respond to the horrific things going on in the world around us over which we seemingly have no control? And then an even larger question comes to mind about the controversies that have arisen, even within the community of believers that we refer to as the body of Christ. How are we, as followers of Christ, to deal with those controversies? The Holy Spirit drew me into two passages of Scripture to get started on this challenging question. I've been thinking about it for decades and doing my best with God's help to apply his principles to the controversies regarding biblical creation, which is a really basic tenet of our Christian faith. But when it comes to a lot of the complex issues of our modern society today, it can get a little foggy. Let's start with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 17. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I think the New Living Translation says it better in verse 10 where it says carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And going on it says take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light it becomes visible For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It seems that one of the reasons that many of the godly and charitable leaders of the Christian community have not even addressed the topic of how to deal with controversies in our community is, to put it plainly, the fear of man. The epic priority for many all their lives is to just be agreeable. Yet our historic forefathers built this country on civil discourse among diverse opinions and it largely started with the various views about biblical and spiritual ideas— That's why the representatives of the various colonies in 1787, before the formation of our Constitution, were at a stalemate. Each of those strong and opinionated leaders held passionate views of religious ideals that differed from one another, and that's where they had to come to grips with the idea of finding common ground. And that's where scriptural guidance, like Romans chapter 12, is particularly applicable. Verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 18. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Verse 3. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Verse 9. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Verse 16. Do not be haughty in mind. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that last verse in today's world has been largely shunned by those who are supposed to be the light of the world. What is the most obvious effect of shining light in the darkness? The darkness disappears, right? So what happens when we see those who should be shining the light doing nothing to confront the perpetrators of dark agendas? God prophesied through Isaiah a sobering woe in Isaiah 5.20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. So what happens when those who are given the job to be light bearers hide their light? Jesus said in Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. But doing that, shining light on darkness, is inevitably going to stir up controversy, reaction, persecution. Well, isn't that exactly what Jesus said would happen if his disciples obey his commands? If our generation, our nation, has been overwhelmed with darkness with wicked behavior and rampant evil? Could it be because somebody switched off the light? Has the devil become so successful attempting God's people to avoid controversy that they've resisted the courage God freely gave to every generation of his people facing an insurmountable battle? Do you suppose God's Holy Spirit is blowing a fresh wind of revival that starts with his people learning how to let their lights shine in the darkness Is God raising up a generation of godly warriors with the courage to resist evil and obey God? Consider Joshua. The Lord spoke to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 1. He was promised before he crossed the Jordan that the Lord would not forsake him. He would lead the people to be given possession of the land of Canaan. The only defining thing he had to do was be strong and very courageous and be careful to do according to all the law to have success wherever he went. Most importantly, Joshua was clearly told the golden key to have his pathway prosper and have complete success wherever he would go. What was that? This book of the Torah shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, which would assure he would be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And if you know the exact formula to accomplish a given job, what happens if you leave out part of the formula? Will your efforts succeed? Sounds pretty plain and straightforward, wouldn't you say? And what had the growing new generation of Israelites above age 20, growing up into responsible adulthood, been doing over the past nearly 40 years? Every week for over 450 months, they had funerals for over a million of their parents and grandparents. They had hardened their hearts to their awesome deliverer, He had spectacularly saved them from the overwhelming plagues that devastated the society of their Egyptian slave masters. God miraculously brought them through the Red Sea and gave them a clear and powerful demonstration in Mount Horeb in the wilderness of Midian of His holiness and His righteous ways to save their lives. After learning the high cost of disobeying Almighty God and giving in to the fear of giants in the land, They had 40 years to raise their families and sharpen their warfare skills under Generals Caleb and Joshua. They must have become really good. But once they crossed the Jordan and came within range of their first enemy target, Jericho, a man with a sword drawn confronted Joshua. He was the captain of the host of the Lord. And when Joshua heard the Lord assure him of victory, most of the military training was put aside. Only one thing was important now, obedience. And what was the instruction for Joshua and his armies of thousands of men? Everyone was commanded to be completely quiet, to march daily around the city's walls once a day for six days, blowing victory trumpets while the wicked inhabitants were surrounded and waiting for the Israelites to go away. The walls seemed impregnable, totally secure. On the seventh day, according to what Yahweh had instructed Joshua, he told his ready warriors to march around the city seven times, On the last round, they not only blew their trumpets, they were led by General Joshua to let out a mighty shout of victory. And you know what happened. The walls went down flat, as if they fell into an elevator shaft, so the men could invade the city and destroy all its inhabitants in direct combat with the physical weapons they'd been trained to skillfully use. But the formula for success wasn't the tactics of the invasion. It was their obedience to the timely direction of Almighty God. Have you noticed that the victories of virtually every conflict between God's servants and God's enemies happened in uniquely different ways? That's where learning to hear the voice of God is paramount. The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps, it says in Proverbs 16.9. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight, Proverbs 3.6. It's true for each of us in our private service to the captain of our salvation. It's especially true for us as we corporately pray and work in symphonic orchestration with our fellow warriors to accomplish the victory that our master has for us in the battles before us. Today, the ecclesia of each household of faith needs to hear, to know, and to confidently obey the commands that our king has given us all in the battles we face knowing that the battle is not yours but God's, as it says in 2 Chronicles 20.15. There are still many people around us who are so conditioned by their own confirmation bias and their attachment to the mainstream narrative that they're unwilling to diligently test all things and renew their minds so they can prove what the will of God is and recognize that they are being manipulated by a highly deceptive evil influence that is capable of destroying their lives. The end result can be labeled cognitive dissonance. They just have a mental or spiritual inability to connect the dots, be honest with themselves, and face the difficult challenges of reality. These are the kinds of people of whom God commands us to show kindness, patience, and similar treatment that he calls us to apply to our enemies. Romans 12, 18 says, "...if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men." And then you have to apply the principles of Jesus' counsel to his disciples. In Mark 6, verse 11, the New Living Translation says very well, if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. Now, do you want to see and hear some of the most important reports I found recently to assist in the choices you must make in the days ahead, the most knowledgeable and trustworthy spokesmen I've found have so much to offer that you might not have heard. And that's why I invite you to visit reclaimyourlegacy.com. Today's program notes in the radio archive there will guide you right to them. And while you're there, if God guides you to help me in continuing the research and sharing these tools to help you equip your loved ones, please know that your help is deeply appreciated. I'm Dennis Peterson, and thanks for joining me on Reclaiming Your Legacy.